Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Dr. Charles Forbin. In a few moments, Colossus will address us directly. This is the voice of world control. I bring you peace. It may be the peace of plenty and content, or the peace of unburied death. The choice is yours. Obey me and live, or disobey and die. The frightening story of the day man built himself out of existence. Colossus, The Forbin Project. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And we are finally kind of getting to something that, as I will explain, is kind of the the reason we have this podcast in the first place. And so if you want to lay any blame for our podcast existing, uh, a large part of the blame can be put at the feet of D.F. Jones and his novel Colossus and the movie Colossus, the Forbin Project that was adapted from it. So that is what we're talking about today. Yet another example of people mucking with stuff that they shouldn't do. Right. The book is called Colossus. The movie should be called Colossus. It wasn't even Forbin's project. I know. It was like the U.S.'s project. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get back to that. Uh, the, the, na- the naming of the movie is, a, is an interesting – I mean, I don't know if it's an interesting story, but uh, it was not originally called Colossus at all. It was just called the Forbin Project. And then they put Colossus even worse. on there. Yeah. The Forbin Project doesn't mean anything. Colossus yeah. like means nothing. Yeah. Colossus would have been a better title. But I wanted, I wanted to talk about kind of the, the history of this. And, and uh, another place that you can place the blame for the existence of our podcast is a podcast that is unfortunately no longer with us. I haven't seen it, that they've done any new episodes since like 2013. But that podcast was oh. called Kick-Ass Mystic Ninjas. So, <laughs> Are you talking about me again? Yeah. Uh, so some years ago, I was looking at videos on YouTube and I found one that was like 20 influential science fiction films or something. And a lot of it was stuff that you'd expect. 2001, Blade Runner, Star Wars, Silent Running, you know, but Colossus, the Forbin Project was on there and I'd never heard of it. So I looked it up, saw that it was adapted from a book. And as I want to do, check the library to see if they had a copy of it, which they did. So I read it and I'm like, hey, I like that, you know, and then I watched the movie on YouTube. And so then when I was first getting into podcasting, I had been listening to Kick-Ass Mystic Ninjas and they did a lot of um, kind of coverage of movies from the 70s and 80s. So lots of stuff that I liked, like for instance, James, they did an episode on Lady Hawk, which you should go listen to so you can understand what an (laughs) idiot you are for not liking that movie. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. You can crap on it if you want to. No, no, no. (laughs) I won't, I won't hawk all over your lady. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but anyhow, they, they covered Colossus, the Forbin project, and they mentioned the book, but they didn't really talk about the book at all. And, and none of them had read it. And so that was kind of the first uh, inkling that, hmm, that could be interesting to do a podcast with movies that are adapted from books. And so then you guys remember the original idea was to do things like from the seventies and sixties, cheesy mm-hmm. science fiction movies, classic cheesy sci-fi yeah. that's adapted. Yeah. And we, right. we broadened it out so that we could, we could have a freer hand, you know, and do stuff that wasn't currently in theaters and, and other classic things from, from later on. So anyhow, that's kind of where, where the podcast comes from. I will put a link in the show notes to the kick-ass mystic ninjas discussion of Colossus, the Forbin project, along with the time code for when they actually start talking about it. Cause they, they did like feedback and voicemails and that kind of stuff before they got to talking about it, but it was good stuff. And it's too bad that it's no longer around. Cool. So one other kind of bit of, of housekeeping here. It's it's our pad- podcast anniversary, you guys. We we have been doing this for two years. February now February thirteenth is not our last, not the anniversary of the recording, is it? Or is it the recording of the release? 
so February 15th, actually, technically, and we're recording this on the 13th. So, um, but yeah, February 15th, 2014 was the date that we recorded the last version of the first podcast that we recorded. <laughs> How many times did we go through that? Three or three. was it four? Yeah. <laughs> it was three. Three. It was funny because like the first recording that we did, the discussion was great. I really enjoyed it. It's just, we didn't know what we were doing with microphones. And so Colin, you were sitting like six feet away from your microphone and I was like all over the top of mine. So my, my signal was uh, splitting and popping and all that kind of stuff. So, and James, I think you had yours tucked under your arm or. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I was probably sitting on it. Yeah. yeah and probably really what was happening was you're sitting there with a mixed drink with ice in it, jingling it next to the clink, microphone clink, 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 the whole clink. time. Um, but then, then we're like, okay, let's go back. Let's correct a few things. Let's add a little more structure. Right. And we recorded it. And then it was all stiff and that like the conversation didn't work. So, so yeah, then we ended up going, going back to the third recording. And that's why we called it farewell to the outline. Cause we felt like the outline was hurting us. So it ruined the flow, man. Totally. Yeah, totally. So anyhow, we, we wanted to, to pause now that we've been doing this a couple of years and say thank you to a few people who have helped us along. Um, I wanted to, to say thanks to Rem from the sci-fi movie podcast who we've thanked before. Um, just, just for kind of, he did a little mentoring with me, you know, uh, got, got me on a couple of Skype calls and gave, gave us some encouragement, um, and had me on their show, which was cool. And of course, to our guests, who was our first guest, James? Emily. There we go. Okay. <laughs> that was kind of a long pause. I had to think about that one. We're, we've been doing this for so long. That's what she yes. said. <laughs> wasn't even a year ago. True. Yeah. She she came on with us to discuss the Stepford Wives, which was cool. Um, then we had Nick Jensen on. He was our first you know, guest who wasn't actually in the same room with us. Right. I uh, wanted to also say thank you to Keith Cotto from the Heinlein Society, who did an interview. That was our first interview, right? That was the first interview of the two that we've done. Yep. Although technically, you could, you could say that we interviewed Phil Nichols a little bit while we had him on. Yeah. So uh, we also had Matt Anderson on from the Sci-Fi Christian and Michael Burstein. And our most recent guest was Margot Donahue. So thanks to everybody who came on and uh, lent your kind of <laughs> lots of times uh, more talent than we have to us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and I also wanted to say thank you to people who like consistently like our Facebook posts and retweet us, uh, in particular, Malkfoy and Michael Simshauser. You guys are awesome. They're always, always pimping our stuff, which is cool. Well, um, and they're, Jeff- always, yeah, they're always helping with conversations as well with comments and feedback and questions and that- yeah. That's really encouraging. It is. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where sometimes I look at the download stats and see that we got downloads from all over the world. And it's weird, you know, because we didn't know if anybody would listen when we first started doing this. And, we, you know, we didn't totally care. Right. We're just doing it for fun. But I, if you're out there and you're and you're listening to us and, and you're like, hey, I'd like to get my name mentioned on there. Well, then, you know, find us on the Facebooks and the Twitters and and connect with us and we will we will shout you out or shout you down or st- or just shout at you. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so before we actually uh, get into everything today, I would be remiss if I did not mention that Peter from Hydrate Level 4, uh, who has another podcast called, called Original Remake, and he had me on to discuss Ocean's Eleven, the original, and the remake Ocean's Eleven with Brad Pitt and George Clooney. And uh, so that was really cool. They are unfortunately not on iTunes yet, so if you want to find it, um, I did put a link up on our Facebook page. Otherwise, you can search for Original Remake on Podbean, I think, or just look up their website. It's original remake. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And so thank you to Peter for, for having me on. That was cool. And now we'll get back to what we were talking about. All right. Uh, we were ready to talk about Colossus. Colossus. Yes. Uh, this is a book that you guys read for the first time just recently, yes? Yes. yes. Uh, I think the, the opportunity kind of arose because it was free in the Kindle store at some point. Right. And that, that was an opportunity for a couple of us to get it 
for free. Uh, not the Colin. No. Um, because sometimes free <laughs> is still too high a price to pay, right? Yes. Dude, your phone has a Kindle app. Just download it for free and then get the book. That's what I did. My phone does not have a Kindle app any longer. Well, it should. That's your fault. <laughs> so before we really get into talking about the book, uh, we, we had a little bit of a, a tete-a-tete going on, on Facebook um, with... I was espousing the idea that anybody out there who is listening to this podcast, that they should watch the movie and then listen to the podcast and, and decide if they want to read the book, but not necessarily read the book first. And, and I, uh, I'm not sure Colin agrees. I don't. You thought the book was that bad? No, I think – so what I would say is – and this is kind of spoiler alert for, for my later views – is I prefer the movie. Oh, and, well, that's where you're so, wrong. And I feel like <laughs> – well, I feel I feel like the movie would be better served by not having read the book first. Oh, fair enough. Because it is a, it is a more scaled down version of the story, and so all it has going for it is the performances of the people in it and the the story, you know. And so if you come into it already knowing the story, you no, know, then 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 it I think it loses some of the effect, which I think is a shame. But there's always that question, right? Which would you like spoiled? More. Would you like the movie spoiled or the book spoiled? Because you, you don't get a choice to have neither of them. True. But in this case, because the, the movie is so faithful to the book, I don't think we could spoil one without really spoiling the other. Exactly. And so that's that's why I'm saying I feel like uh well, maybe maybe we'll get we'll circle back around to why why I think that. Because I want to talk about how faithful an adaptation it is and, and and that kind of thing. Well, let's try this then. If you're the kind of person that is always let down by movies. Uh, look at, you know, watch the movie first and then really enjoy the book. If on yeah. the other hand, you don't have a lot of time, you have a hard time getting the book or the movie, because to be honest, they, they are not common. They're, they're pretty rare nowadays. We're talking about a book right. from the 19, 1966, 66, and a, and a not well-known movie from 1971. The movie was I more difficult so. to get a hold of than the book was, right? Yeah. 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 So if you have no choice, watch or read what you have to. Right. And and if you have a choice, then you know determine, right? If you know that you're always let down by a movie because it's not like the book, well, watch the movie book first and then really enjoy the book. Uh, on the other hand, read the book first and then watch the movie. Yes, your mileage may vary. If <laughs> if you tend to agree more more with with Colin that the the book is the true story, uh yeah, see, I still I still think though you'd be more rewarded for watching the movie first and then reading the book. But it will spoil the end of the book. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So I guess I would throw that out to the listeners. If there's anybody out there who has read this book and watched the movie, what do you think? Would it have been better to have watched the movie without reading the book first? Or, you know, which order did you to do them? I'm, I'm curious. Well, why don't we talk about the book in some more specifics? Uh, as I mentioned, it's from 1966. It is the first book in a trilogy. And that, that gives you some clue as to the, the <laughs> when Colin said it, it does have a downer ending, but it's the first book in a trilogy. So it's Kind of supposed to. It's kind of, yeah, kind of, it sets up the right. other books. And this is not a story that you're going to find all that new, right? This is something that's been done a bazillion times now. It's it's the AI uprising, right? Right. And I was I was making a list of things that were derivative of of this. And, and I want to go through it at some point later. There are lots of movies that are that are derivative of, of, of this story. I think and, it also harkens back to Frankenstein. Yes. And we'll definitely have to talk about that particular point in the book, because I think you had a, po- a point to make about the movie in the book. And I think that's one of the things they changed, one little thing they changed in the movie that actually improved on what the book did. Yeah, though I, I will argue, I think I know what he what the book meant by it. So we'll, we'll talk we'll talk through that in specific. But I mean, gotcha. first first obviously the the story. Usually I have James do it, but since I've read the book twice, <laughs> I get to go. Fair enough. <laughs> it's your turn. Yeah. 
since it's this book's fault that we're doing the podcast and also my right. fault that we're doing the podcast. Um, so I'll do it. The, you know, the story is the typical AI uprising and it's, it's kind of the, if you think of the backstory to Terminator, it's kind of similar to that where the U S United States of North America, I believe it was. USNA. Yeah. Makes, makes a supercomputer that can control all their defenses. And it's sort of for the same reason in war games, in war games, the reason that they had Whopper was because, well, it's kind of the opposite actually. Cause in, in war games, the story is that uh, people in the field who were supposed to put the keys in and launch missiles when they were given the order, didn't do it right. because of human emotion, you know? And there's the other side of that where human emotion might make you more likely to launch, you know, to take it not an appropriate response. And so the idea is Colossus will not do that. Colossus will analyze everything and appropriately respond. And of course, it all goes bad because they they bring it online. It immediately says, by the way, there's another one out there and I want you to hook up communications between us. And then, you know, emergent personality and emergent intelligence has, starts to happen and everything goes to crap, uh, which is awesome. All because they missed the three laws. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the story. I, I mean, it's, it's a book that I really enjoyed. I, I like a downer ending. I, I, I find when there's, when there's something like a supercomputer or a super intelligence that is trying to take over and little plucky humans are able to overcome it with their grit and their uh, audacity, uh, I, I don't buy it lots of times. I'm like, that is very right. improbable that you would have actually gotten over in that situation. So I kind of, yeah, I like it. That's, that's one reason that I like Terminator three. Cause I like the idea that, nope, this was going to happen and you keep pushing the date back, but eventually Skynet's going to win hmm. or not win, but at least nuke everybody exist. Yeah. Spoiler alert for Terminator three. I don't know. So Colin, you, you had some thoughts on the book as well um, about some of the kind of salacious parts of it. Well, yeah. So again, I'm very prudish. I'm very conservative. Uh, the book posits this, this future society and a whole bunch of scientists are all stuck in one little area for like 10 years. And because our society has evolved and sexuality is now uh, not such a, boy, what do you say? Uh, the mores are a little looser. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the book's written in 1966, right? Kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's like agreements. Like, you know, if you're going to sleep with somebody and there isn't a lot of place to have like privacy, you just go into the bathroom and you lock the door, which means they better have a lot of bathrooms. But the book kind of starts off with the, with the lead character walking in and seeing somebody groping his secretary at her desk. Right. And, and to lighten the mood, he goes, uh, Johnson, did you lose something in there? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a joke there about Johnson. There's a joke there about Johnson someplace. I, I should mention that, um, the book is set at some point in the future, right? Right, mm -hmm. and it's it's always interesting to me to see authors guessing at changes in society and changes in technology in the future. And so, like a book like Childhood's End, it, he has he has in there that um, marriage has evolved to now you don't do the till death do us part thing. You just you sign up for five years, and and that was kind of Colossus seemed like it had a similar view in it that, well, you know, relationships are a little more fluid. And, and starting quite a bit later, right? Yeah. Orban was in his late forties and he thought, you know, it's not too late to start a family. And well, it's been the current trend anyway, right? Yeah. Marriage has been getting pushed back. Yes. Also early in the book, um, doesn't Forbin walk in on Dr. Cleo Markham having just come out of the shower and yep. completely naked? Oh yeah. And she just kind of goes, I know I look good. Um, right. you know, I'm not covering up. Yeah, but she's got a crush on him. True. And vice versa. 
he's too afraid to do anything about it. Yeah. Part of the other thing is that, that, you know, the kind of mix of good guesses and not good guesses is I think he was going for a more kind of liberated women idea. And the fact that he had he had a woman in an engineering job, right? In a, in a theoretical science job, which, you know, wasn't that common in the 60s. And yet there seems to be a lot of Cleo, you're, you're very valuable to me. Get me some food, would you? <laughs> Do you mind if I smoke in your room, even though you don't smoke? One, one other thing, that James, that I, that I noticed in the entire series, because I read all three books, is there is a lot of alcohol consumption. Yes, there is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what else to talk about about the book? Well, let's, let's talk about some of those nods I was mentioning, right? So in the book and the movie, they mention the movie... Or the, and the book Frankenstein, the modern Prometheus. And sure. they do it in exactly the opposite contexts. In the book, they do it before they're aware that Colossus is smart and sentient. Right. And in the movie, they do it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the book, you get this line saying, you know, I'm kind of worried about Colossus, but I don't know why. And then Forbin says, maybe Frankenstein should be bad, banned reading for all scientists, and it should be required reading for all Non-scientists. Non-scientists, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, I think I know where he's going with that. Um, but you mentioned that it's the opposite in, in, the, in movie. the movie. Yeah. Right? yeah. In the movie, they know that Colossus, that they've become aware that Colossus is self-aware. Yeah. And the, the comment is more like, well, scientists should read Frankenstein so that you're aware of what can happen when your creation gets out of your control. Yeah. So maybe maybe this is one of the crucial differences to me between the book and the film is in the book, Forbin expresses grave doubts about the project. Even though he's kind, kind of been the main guy, he basically says to the president, look, we're ready to go. We're ready to turn it on. And I'm telling you, don't turn it on. And the president's like, screw you, buddy. We have spent a bazillion dollars on this. We've got to turn it on. Yeah. And then there's a lot of, there's a lot of fighting between the president and Forbin, um, which is kind of amusing. And it's missing from the from the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's completely missing from the movie. And and the movie also doesn't ever show Forbin expressing that reticence to turn it on. Once it's on, I, he there's that point early on where they realize that uh, Colossus's calculation capacity has gone way high, way higher than they expected. Right. Um. And this is before they connect him to Guardian. So I'm not quite sure where where that emergent intelligence came from in the movie. But but I guess it happened in the book as well, didn't it? It did. It was he was responding to answers too quickly, right? And so, so they're like, oh, "There's a ghost in the machine," essentially, right? In the book, in in the book, I think because of Forbin kind of expressing that reticence to turn it on, that's that was the point of his thing about Frankenstein. Is non scientists need to understand that when scientists create things, it's often more than they bargain for, mm-hmm. and so the non scientist needs who who is essentially paying the bills for the scientists to do something. You know, the people in government, they need to be the ones who are aware. And pushing it too, right? I mean, the president was the one pushing for the project in the book, and that was not the case in the movie. Right. Well, yeah, I think think the president was behind it. Well, no, but he was very, the president was very adamant about it going on. Yeah. That was not the case in the movie. It was very much motivated by Forbin, which might even be why that's the title of the movie, really. It's the Forbin Project. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I think the reason that's the title of the movie is because he is the main character. I mean, you know, say what you will about the movie. There's no question who the main character is. Yeah, but I is. felt like in the book, the president owned the project more so than Foreman did from a personal standpoint, I guess, where the president was like, this must go on. And Foreman's like, nope, let's shut it down. Don't turn it on. I don't want it to come on. 
Yeah, well, and, and in the book, you know, there's the fighting between them where Foreman is asserting more and more control because he realizes the president doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Foreman, Foreman gains in power as Colossus gains in power. Right. But you don't really, you don't really have that transition in the, in the book either, that transition of power. In the book? Uh-huh. No, the movie, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. The movie, yeah, in the movie. movie, you don't have it as much, but it is there. And I think it's betrayed most in the, in that kind of cabinet discussion where the president is asking the CIA, why didn't you see this? And Forbin just interrupts him. Yeah. And, and says, look, Colossus has access to information that would have made any sense to the CIA. And and the president actually turns to him and says, look, Charlie, I'm, I'm still in charge of this meeting. The relationship was a lot more genial, a lot more jokey. Yeah. Um, just in general, there was more humor in the movie than there was in the book. Right. Which to me makes sense. Yes. Secretary groping aside. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the interesting plot points in in the story and something that I really liked was just the idea that, okay, Colossus gets online, hooks up with the other computer, becomes more intelligent, starts making demands. So then the government guys realize, hey, they could be giving away classified secrets here. Let's cut this communication. And Foreman's like, no, this is a terrible idea. This You, do, you don't know what will happen if you do this. Um, and so so they cut the communications, missile launch, and essentially Colossus puts a gun to everybody's head to say, reconnect the communication or you know, right. nukes are going to fall. And it's a great moment in the movie, actually. Um, something that I really liked. It, the movie is a very modest budget. I should we talk about the movie? I think we should just transition into talking about all of it yeah. from here on. Yeah, it's it's a really faithful adaptation. It's hard because the differences are so small. It's hard to talk about one without really talking about the other. Yeah. Um, aside from the ways that we've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and one so one of the key differences in the movie, one of the key kind of adaptational considerations is um, they went for a modern day adaptation, right? This is a 1970 movie. It's a very 1970 looking movie. Right. Right. There are no air cars. Yeah, there's uh, gosh, what no, else? No disposable thing? clothing. No disposable clothing. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, no, uh, you no know, replicators no or whatever they are for getting the food. But um, the movie is not very high on special effects, right? It is not a special effects extravaganza. It is not an action movie in any way. It's a, it's a very 1970 movie, very measured pace. It's telling a, I won't say a small scale story, but it's pretty focused. If you took the book with a magnifying glass and only looked at Forbin, that would be a pretty fair description of the movie. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And they did make some changes, um, you know, for like different settings and that kind of thing. Right. They went to Italy instead of London. And then the the the, the target for putting the new Colossus installation was not the Isle of Wight. It was Crete. So they went Mediterranean. And I mean, who wouldn't go Mediterranean? Better weather. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, not a lot of special effects. And so in, I think in a lesser film, in during that scene when they've cut the communication and Colossus notifies them, missile launched. You never see a missile launch. You just see kind of a a display that shows where the missile's been launched from, kind kind of like in uh, war games, almost. Yeah, yes. Where, where it has a display showing showing the missile's uh, trajectory and um, how long until impact, that kind of thing. But it's very, very a very light touch on the effects. It's you know they don't actually show any missile in the air, which which I appreciated um, because of course the people in that room wouldn't have seen the right. missile launch. Yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but but I really I really enjoy that scene as they're trying to get the communications back online and asking Colossus to intercept the missile, and and there's a great moment where Forbin is trying to ask Colossus, will you intercept? Will you intercept? And everything drops out. All the sound drops out. All the score drops out. And it's it's a great tense scene. I really I really enjoyed that. But 
Yeah. I had to explain some of these things to my kids because they always ask me questions about which book that I'm reading and, you know, can they read it? You know, would they enjoy it? Um, and I explained that it would be hard for them to identify with because it was written in the 60s in the middle of, of the Cold War with the, right. with the huge threat of nuclear war hanging over us. Yep. And even though the number of weapons hasn't changed that much and the technology is more advanced, uh, I don't think it, it invades our life like it did um, in the 60s and the 70s. Yeah. In, in fact, they had the movie done and in the can and sat on it for two years trying mm. to figure out a way to release it. Oh, interesting. Um, kind of talking about that is one of the things that, where I said I like to read older science fiction and see the things that they guessed wrong on, <laughs> mm-hmm. and 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 the changes that they made was you know the USNA right the United States of North North America <laughs> right. the United States of South America the United States of Europe you know everything yes. the, it's the US everywhere except the USSR still exists you know <laughs> yes. two hundred years in the future right. because you know there was no end in sight to the Cold War Colin you you and I remember this James you remember it probably a little less but um you know the idea I remember just thinking eventually we're going to have nukes fly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all the, the nuclear drills, like, you know, get underneath your desks and mm-hmm. duck and cover <laughs> <laughs> from, from uh, iron giant. Yeah. 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 So the movie is, it's very much of its time. And, and so that's, I think it's kind of one of the things that I like about the film that they decided to just, you know, we're setting this in the seventies um, because of course the cold war is still on. And so we can kind of have a message about, uh, what is the cost for peace? You know, making bigger and better weapons isn't necessarily the best way to get peace on on the terms that we bigger want. Bigger and better computers. Yeah, right. <laughs> bigger and better computers. But you know, that's they basically asked for a computer to to enforce peace, right. and it totally did. But yeah, and, and that that sets up the ending of both the book and the movie. Yeah. Uh, at at this point, uh, Colossus has asked for a voice modulator to be made so it can speak directly to right. people instead of through a teletype which was mm-hmm. the, the height of technology in both the book <laughs> and the movie. Yes. Um, and he explained, you know, I was built to have peace and to enforce peace. And uh, you now have it. And you can actually choose your kind of peace now. You can either have the peace of unburied dead or the peace of prosperity and health and yeah. other stuff. Right. Colossus sets himself up as a benevolent dictator, right? At the end. Yes. And says, you're going to like it. Or else, yeah, and I and I like that ending in both the book and the movie. You know, you 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 will eventually come to love me, never, never. And in fact, that's something I think the movie does better. In, oh, really? Yeah, in the movie, you get this repeated, never, 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 and you get the emotive uh, delivery of the actor. Whereas in the book, it's very cold and stark. Yeah. Well, okay. Let, so let's talk about that. That part of it. And one of the reasons I like the movie better is because I love Eric Braden's portrayal of Forbin. Um, I've always liked him as an actor. I I don't know him from a lot of things. I you know, I don't watch uh what is it? The Days of Our Lives. Is it the Days of Our Lives? Pretty sure. Yeah, I think it was uh, yeah. Okay. I can't remember which one, you know, he but he's a famous soap opera star. Um, but he was in Escape from the Planet of the Apes, and I just loved him in that. And of course he's the main antagonist because he's a German doctor, of course. <laughs> right. Um uh kind of little bit of trivia that is not his birth name his um oh. eric braden's birth name is hans gudegast <laughs> right but he was he was basically told by uh i don't know universal studios or somebody look nobody with a, that german of a name is going to headline the film <laughs> so i think i think he named himself after his uh, after the town he was born in braden so that's crazy um but and you know he's got that great accent he's very smooth um he's I think he's a little younger than the character in the book was portrayed. I he's would much, say so. Much smoother, much suaver. 
uh, even though he's still, you know, it kind of shows him as lonely. Yeah, um, he, didn't, he didn't make but, a perfect yeah. martini in the book, so. True. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that was a, that was a yeah. novel thing. <laughs> well, a novel thing. <laughs> it was not yeah. in the novel. So it was not a novel thing. I just, I find his, his performance very easy, very relaxed. And like I said, there was some humor added that, that I really enjoyed in the movie. Mm-hmm. Although it wasn't all from him. They made the robot have, or they made, they made Colossus have a little more of a sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, that like was where? <laughs> Um Like the bit when, uh, I love the scene. It's before the, the voice synthesizer happens and Colossus is sitting there explaining about privacy because he's got this plan. Colossus has set up the, uh, surveillance on mm-hmm. on Forbin so he can track his every move and he realizes okay there's I'm going to need to be able to get information out and the only way to get information out is to have somebody who can come and meet with me in private mm-hmm. and so he convinces Colossus that he needs a woman and and so there's that great scene where he's um you know I need I need to have privacy and and he goes over you know things that he'd like to have privacy with you know when I when I take a crap no denied <laughs> um, and then, then he finally convinces him sexuality, you know, I need, I need to, to be able to have sex in private. And, and he was able to meet with his kind of a cadre of people before the surveillance kicked in to say, I'm going to, I'm going to present Cleo as being my mistress. And I, I really like the way they executed that, that in the movie where they're all standing outside and, and he kind of tells her and she kind of, <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but when, when he's talking to Colossus about that, there's that question, how many times a week do you, is that right? How right. many times a week do you require a woman? Yeah. And, that's and right out of the book. Yeah. And he says every night <laughs> and he says, <laughs> yeah. Me, not one. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so they, they agree on four times a week. Um, and I, I also, I really, I really enjoy that whole scene of the, the kind of the first time he gets to bring his mistress in and, and Colossus makes them strip down before they, they go into the bedroom. Mm-hmm. So that he can make sure they don't right. carry anything in there. Uh, I was listening to the commentary. I don't know, Colin, if you got a chance to. I did not. Um, there was no actual nudity. So in in the scene where Cleo throws off all her clothes, she actually has a bodysuit on. Oh, um, but but I also yeah. liked the way they used the wine glass to do the <laughs> the Austin Powers thing to cover everybody's uh, naughty parts. Yes. Um, so, and I'm sure Austin Powers was. I, well, I don't know if this movie is well known enough, right? For for um for that to have been an influence on that. It kind of seems like it though. Um, but I love like after they, they finally, they end up both, you know, nude and in bed together and they're doing kind of the, the download and the, the actress does a really great job of portraying how ridiculous the situation is. Um, the, the way she kind of laughs, it seems very natural, but mm-hmm. what else would you expect from Webster's mom? <laughs> right. I forgotten that that was Webster's mom. <laughs> yeah, I love that show. It made it kind of awkward when she was taking off her clothes. I'm like, this is someone's mom. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> and I didn't know that she had a bodysuit on. I mean, yeah, it looks like you're, you're looking through the wine glass, so you can't see anything anyway, but still. Yeah. Yeah, it was well It was well shot, well lit to, to be convincing. I feel like the portrayal of Cleo was better in the movie than in the book. Where in the book, I think he wanted to portray her as liberated and equal with all the men, and yet she's fetching drinks for Forbin and fetching food for Forbin. Where in the book, she seemed like more of an equal. I mean, I'm sorry, in the movie, she she felt like more of an equal. Yeah. And especially because in the beginning of the book, they have this discussion about how there is no gender discrimination anymore. And the major woman character, like you said, right, waits on him hand and foot, mm-hmm. uh, is infatuated with him, 
uh, allows him to smoke in her apartment, even though she finds it just you know, unlike un- uh, she doesn't like it. Yeah. Uh, she's jealous of the secretary. Right. Um, well, and the secretary is jealous of her in the further books. <laughs> nice. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll even when she's in the rehabilitation center? No, no. Things, things do change in the third book. I don't know. Jimmy, what do you think? What, what, what did you, do you prefer the book or the movie? Um, probably the book. So based on what? Yeah. Why? I enjoy, I enjoyed more of the story and the, the details that they had in the book. Uh, the arguments between the president and Foreman and, uh, the, the details and the, the way the president and the premier, uh, like handled the communications and things like that. And they seemed much more like political and strategic and Mm -hmm. things. And it wasn't, it's kind of a, I guess the a product of it being a movie, like Colin said, it seems like you took a microscope to the Forbin, to Colossus and brought out Forbin and you told Forbin's story in the movie. But there was plenty of other story in the book yeah. that I didn't that I enjoyed and I did not think it detracted at all. I overall I thought it was a pretty smooth read. Okay. I didn't have a problem reading it. No, it's it's a pretty brisk read. I mean what yeah. is it, two hundred and forty pages, something like that? It's a slim novel. Too small. There you go. 256. Nice. Which is appropriate for a book right. about something digital. <laughs> yeah. what, what did you think of uh, of Forbin's martini game in, in the movie? It made me want to drink a martini. I liked it. <laughs> was, was his was his martini game strong? Yeah, I would have preferred he uh, look at the unopened bottle of vermouth as he was shaking the gin. <laughs> Stirring it Shaking, not stirred. Good sir. And vodka, <laughs> not gin. See now, that's the thing I don't get. How can you call a you know both drinks a martini when one of them has vodka and the other has gin? Because gin's wrong. Okay, <laughs> but it's it's all wrong to me. You know, you know my uh, my position on this. It's all yucky. So. I I think the movie is interesting, and this is one of the reasons I think that that watching the movie first would be rewarding because at the beginning, I I like the way the credits roll over, kind of showing the setup of Colossus and how how hardened it is against intrusion. Mm-hmm. That was cool. I like that a lot. But it almost plays like the introduction to a caper movie where, okay, here's all the obstacles th- that they're going to have to overcome. And I, the Kick-Ass Mystic Ninjas, I, I oh, really yeah. listened to their podcast, and they, they mentioned that, that they expected at some point somebody's going to have to break into this and overcome all these obstacles. But they basically make it completely clear, look, there is no getting into Colossus. Once, once we turn him on, that's it. Colossus is in control. Yeah, I kind of suspected something like that, or expected something like that from the book too. Actually, when I was reading, when they were, when I was reading the parts where they're explaining all the countermeasures that they put in place, both electronic yeah. and physical, mm-hmm. or physical and yeah, virtual, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did kind of expect something to try and make its way, although they never really went into it. Yeah, I, I will say the third book follows up on some of that, so. Yeah, I expected. I suspected such. After you said yeah. it was part of a trilogy, so the the way the movie shoots um, the introduction of the surveillance, where where it has the the camera eye view of Foreman in various places, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I really liked. But it it again felt like the setup for a caper movie. Like, okay, here are the things that you're going to have to fool in order to you know don't don't don't. Looks very Terminator. Yeah. Um. So as I said, I. I much prefer the movie to the book. Um, I like the book. I've read it twice, um, but but I really, really like the movie. Um, and th- my one gripe, my one major gripe with the movie is the voice synthesizer. Because <laughs> it, it is the most 70s voice synthesizer you could imagine. Right. I actually liked what 
Colossus said about in the in the book when Forbin asked him why he had an English accent. He uh, he said he took on the accent of the language it was called, even though that probably would have been inaccurate. Right. Yes. Uh, the U.S. and England, yeah. two two countries divided by a common language. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, well, weren't you the one telling me that the in back or I guess when English was again was like back in the revolutionary era, they probably would have sounded like what New Yorkers sound like now or something like that. Like like blue bloods. Yeah. In, in the uh, in the northeast would sound like today, right? Yeah, there, there's there's no real evidence that the the received pronunciation that we have, like from the BBC or mm-hmm. or in Buckingham, is is the way the colonists sounded back then, right? That both the kind of typical American accent of today and the English typical accent of today are divergences from the common accent we had back then, right? And that and that's the way language works, right? Yeah, that that's why I kind of thought Colossus is. Uh, explanation of why he adopted the English accent was slightly preposterous, but entertaining at the same time. Sure. Cause I'm totally picturing like Jarvis the entire time. It was awesome. Right. And that would have <laughs> yeah. been cool in the, in the movie. <laughs> so maybe at this point we could talk about that. There's been talks of a remake of this for ages. Um, there, there was, they would totally screw it up. I think they would. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and well, the, I think my main issue with a remake of this is it would feel so derivative of so many things now. Yeah, because I was I was thinking I was kind of writing down a list of things that I I find derivative somewhat of Colossus, and most obvious one is Terminator, because this is a defense mainframe that goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. War games is some War something games. pretty similar. Yeah. Uh, I just watched I just rewatched Eagle Eye, which is something pretty similar. It's like the dumb action movie version of Colossus. Right. Um, <laughs> no, I really did it. I really enjoyed that movie. I don't know if you guys have seen it, um, but it is oh, preposterous. I mentioned to you that yeah, Eagle Eye is adapted. I have not been able to determine that that is correct. Here, let me let me look it up real quick. Okay. Eagle Eye is absolutely a preposterous movie. I mean, like like <laughs> the believability factor is so low on That's that one. Funny. If it's, they ever like, actually did a Robopocus movie, it'd be a lot like that too. I would think. Yeah, yeah, that would be similar. And Robopocalypse is another thing. The iRobot movie was kind of derivative of this, with right. Vicky being Colossus, you know, and and basically deciding, look, I have to take over here, and in order to do that, yeah, some humans are going to get hurt. Yeah. But it's for your own good. Well, it's funny how they went that way because Colossus almost seems like a depressing version of iRobot, the the last, last story in that collection. The inevitable conflict. Right. It is. Yeah. It's the dark side of that. Okay. Eagle Eye is an adaptation of a 1958 Isaac Asimov, I think, short story called All the Troubles of the World. Oh, interesting. Well, huh. You need to edit the Wikipedia page for Eagle Eye because it is not listed there. Is it? I wonder where I found this then. IMDb? Yeah. Maybe. Well, if so, you know, it might be interesting to, maybe I'll look up that story. Yeah. But yeah, it's, so like the main, the main problem for me, if you were going to remake Colossus is all the advances in technology that DF Jones did not predict. Electronic surveillance, you know, satellite imagery. They do mention satellites. They do. But they were, they were more for communication, right? And that, in there though, they weren't. Right. I don't think the idea of surveillance came about. Right. And, and so like the implausibility of Forbin ever being able to do some plotting before Colossus was able to monitor him. I'm like, any defense kind of thing would have to be able to have all that monitoring in place already. And so I don't know how they would have, how they would have dealt with that. Do you know what I mean? You throw a large party (laughs) with lots of 
loud music and flashing strobing lights. And in the middle of it on the floor, you have a group of people surrounded by all the dancers uh, writing stuff by hand on paper that can't be seen. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that, that's possible. My, my actual thought, I was trying to retcon this. I was trying to like, okay, how would they do this? And I think what they would do is they would have the kind of control center area be hardened mm-hmm. against surveillance in order to be have more kind of defense. Because like, if people could hack into mm-hmm. the control center, then they could take over Colossus in some way. And so they, they could probably make it plausible. Here is the area that cannot be um, penetrated from the outside electronically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's how they'd have to do it. But it, it, like I said, I think the main problem is it would feel derivative of so many other things. Um, I mean, Age of Ultron, right? right? It's, it's the same thing, only without all the insane robot suits, which is just, seriously. <laughs> we, we, need, we need a Marvel movie where there's not a big army to overcome. That's what I liked about Ant-Man. Hmm. Ant-Man was a caper movie. Yeah. Well, so I think you could do a version of this story that was a caper movie and ditch the down right. ending. How would a hacker hack in the Colossus? All right. Anything else we haven't covered? So one of the things that, that you kind of lose out in the movie is all the little things in the book, which help flesh it out and make it more rich. Like the development That's of the individual said. characters. <laughs> uh, in the movie, no one questions why they turn on the Russian machine so soon after they turn on the United States USNA machine. And in the book, you learn it's because that there's actually a spy in the for in the Colossus project, who has been leaking information to them, right, and enabling them to build a similar uh, unit almost in parallel mm-hmm. with the United States. You know, one of the advantage I have over you guys in doing all this research for looking for other things to watch and read is I have a lot of the names of the books and the movies stuck in my head, <laughs> like I know Eagle Eye, right? Mm-hmm. So um, Cleo in the book at one point is saying is something being as unlikely to be found as a triangle with four sides. <laughs> well, there's a 1949 science fiction book, which was adapted into a movie called The Four-Sided Triangle. <laughs> right. Nice. So, uh, and I, I checked all that out and I made some notes, see my notes. And um, one of the things that we didn't talk about is that at one point the, the machines begin to talk to one another and say, well, this is what I know. What do you know? And because they're really versions of the same machine, they, they tend to know the same things. And because they're smarter than humans by quite a bit, they've actually advanced the state of science and mathematics in several ways. Like they come up with a new... Uh, identification a new formulation for gravity right. and describing gravity and at one point uh they're scrambling the humans are scrambling trying to keep up with everything that colossus is telling the russian machine right. called guardian because they don't want him to leak anything any any state secrets right yep. he was supposed to be this uh automaton and now he's sentient and they don't want him leaking information to the russians uh, you know, as if the Russian machine would tell the Russians right. what he found. <laughs> right. Uh, but there's also a mention of Eddington theory in the book. And so I, I went and looked it up. And Eddington theory was an old version of uh, unification theory, trying to unify all the different forces into a single theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Colossus, you know, solved the grand right. unification problem. Of course. Another thing I thought was interesting was that how Colossus became the dominant version of the machine. Yes, there's no longer Colossus and Guardian. Just Colossus. Now, just Colossus. The Colossus was the one originally made by the Americans. And the Russians were the one to get yeah. killed, not not the Americans. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the Russian scientist was killed. Yeah, but think about how the story would have played out if they mm-hmm. had killed Forbin and then Cleo steps up as the, you know, the the head of resistance and the new head of the Forbin project, the Colossus project. Yeah. They would have had to have a Russian mistress. So I I wanted to ask, you know, in terms of the story, the, the direction the story would have taken, if 
Does any of this story happen if the Russians don't make Guardian? Yes. In what way? Uh, well, you think about it. Colossus works. Colossus wins because Colossus has control of the nuclear weapons. And if you don't do what Colossus says, he's going to launch. Yeah. I've, and and remember, he's going to reduce the size of the armies almost completely, and he's going to reduce the size of the nuclear arsenal by 60% after retargeting it, the joint arsenal of the United States and Russia mm-hmm. all over the world, because now he's got blanket right. coverage. But I think what Seth is getting at is if right? it didn't have a a guardian, I don't know, for, for me, is if you didn't have a guardian, what would be what would be the triggering event for noticing the sentience? Right, because in the book, it's a, there was another. Yeah, or in the in the movie too, right? Because of the flash alert. Right, right. But what what would what would the flash alert be if there wasn't a guardian? They, there could have been some other inciting incident, but I feel like the kind of runaway increase in intelligence. I know it started before he found Guardian, but I feel like once mm-hmm. the two machines were together, that's when things really hit a, uh, you know. A symbiosis? Yeah, oh, yeah, like like it was more than the sum of its parts. And and the other part of it is I feel like with components of itself on both sides of a conflict, that made it much more likely that it's going to say, look, war is the problem here. Because if it was still all just contained in America, it could wipe Russia off the map and say, now we're more secure. Things are good for me. Right. But with Guardian on the other side, it couldn't necessarily do that. Although I guess Guardian was as heavily protected as Colossus was. So it could have probably wiped all the people out and still been just fine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think you could have told us the same kind of story without Guardian. Yeah. I think, I think though, the reason for it is, is just the, the reflection of nuclear deterrence. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that we had, look, we have to have thousands of nukes because Russia has thousands right. of nukes. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Deterrence, right? Guaranteed mutual yeah. assured destruction. Mutually assured destruction. Mad. Um, and so having mach- yeah, having machines on both sides was kind of the analog yeah. of that. If, right. you, if you want to give right. it a message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by the way, for anybody listening at home, yes, we know that Colin said nuclear. Nuclear. <laughs> nuclear. <laughs> it's my Oregon accent. Dude. Oh, okay, no, I'm from Alaska. So and he's from he's from California. It's nuclear. <laughs> it's nuclear. No, I guess it's nuclear. Yeah. Um one uh kind of interesting thing that that I noticed my son and I this summer, I got, um, oh, I can't remember if we even watched them actually. My son and I rewatched Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles this summer. Um, uh-huh. I think I got them from the library and now I have season two actually on DVD because I found it in the bargain Woo-hoo. bin at Best Buy. Um, there's an episode there where they're, they're essentially creating something that throughout the season, you're like, okay, this is going to be Skynet eventually. Um, but they have a Terminator endoskeleton plugged into the supercomputer. So it has mm-hmm. kind of a human interface. And there, there's an episode where it kind of goes offline, um, like it gets attacked, gets hacked, and it says, there is another. And it's very reminiscent of, of Colossus. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. then it refers, to, it refers to that other system as its brother after huh. that. So do you think that screenwriters sitting in their rooms when they do this kind of plotting for television shows, uh, do you think they go out and read things to be inspired? And Yeah, I wonder. I mean, like just talking about the podcast, right? There's lots of times where we're going to be talking about something and I see that like the science fiction film podcast or the sci-fi movie podcast are talking about it. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to listen to that episode until after we talk about it because I don't want to be derivative of them, right? I don't want to make points that they made. On the other hand, there are times where I'm like, well, that was a good point though that they made. And I would have talked about that on our show. Well, yeah, I think the, yeah, I, so I don't know. I don't know if screenwriters do that, or they're like, ah, no, no, I don't want to. Don't want to have my creativity 
put into that structure. On the other hand, you're you're the sum of the things right. that you have yeah. previously read. They're inevitably going to be influenced yeah. by whatever they experienced, right? And if they, it's, it would seem that if they enjoy what they're doing, say you got a science fiction writer who he enjoys science fiction, he's going to be reading science fiction anyway. It it, it only you know, it's impossible for it to not pour over into what he's doing. Um, I I, I do I do want to talk about the idea of this as a faithful adaptation, because it, it does sound like, like this is my kind of faithful adaptation where it takes, it gets the story mm-hmm. right, hits the right beats, but a lot of the t-shirts uh-huh. are different. Um, where Colin, it sounds like you, you prefer to have your cake and eat it too, right? You're like, no, 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 no. Get the details right. Yeah. Because we've seen too many instances where people have mucked with stuff and made it wrong. Yeah, I guess I'll give you that, but. So did they muck with it and make it wrong this time? Well, I guess like, in order to do a straight up faithful adaptation, you'd have to set this in the future in a future that used teletype. So it'd be it'd yes. be like a retro future, which could be cool. It could be cool, but you imagine if they tried to do all those effects on this budget, it would have been horrible. So I think it's better that they they re they redid the mo- or I guess redid the story time so that it was in the seventies right. and current time, as opposed to trying to make it into the future and having terrible effects. And that would have made the movie it would have detracted, right? Yeah. And and this so this is my point, right? In order to make a straight up faithful adaptation of this, it would have to be set in the future, but with 1970s mm-hmm. technology. And that doesn't make sense. And I think you'll agree, Colin, that, that that wouldn't make sense. I don't think the time period is that important to the plot of the book. Okay. All right. So not all the details. But yeah, the fact that it was in the future had nothing to do with the story. The only thing from the that really kind of made an impact were the air cars. Sure. It's the only future technology that comes in and you could trivially replace that with no change. Yeah. Okay. So having it set in the seventies, I think just makes it more, more relatable to the audience. Yeah. And, and it probably kept the budget down. Yeah. So, so then I I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at is in order to do a faithful adaptation of this today, you Mm -hmm. could bring it into our level of technology or you could go slightly future and get some things wrong, but, but that would be okay. Right. They wouldn't have to have teletype. (laughs) Well, so here's the other thing. I don't see anything wrong with making a period drama. No, no, no. No, me neither. Why can't it be set in the 1970s? Sure. What about the 1870s? <laughs> <laughs> Jane Austen Colossus. Very different movie. Uh, Jeb here is in charge of all the weapons for the United States. Uh, and he has total authority. <laughs> it's one guy right. with, with like two six-shooters. <laughs> big, big six-shooters. Yeah, like the... We covered predestination, right? The uh-huh. I'll use zombies adaptation, and that had kind of a nice retro look to it. And I could totally be yeah. be down with a, a a retro future kind of adaptation. But like, I would I wanted to see the president's aide freak out and die from <laughs> from fear of what was happening. Well, didn't Foreman punch he, him? Well, there was that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he basically died from fear yes. and being punched. And you want to see the president's hair completely go white? Oh yeah. Well, uh, that was total BS. Yeah. That right there was not happening. But I wanted to see the president get smacked down because he was being a jerk. Right. He was being a jerk. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was all it was all that stuff we missed in the movie. Yeah, I wanted a little bit more of this of the controlling, like knowing that they killed Kupri. Yeah, yeah, they they killed him in the book too. I mean in the movie too. Yeah, but I don't think they did they talk about the beheading as no. proof of death. No, and and so Actually, that's one one of the great scenes in the movie is is when Fisher and his other accomplices try to overload Colossus, right? And, and yeah. he has them executed, and Forbin doesn't isn't even notified about it until he's sitting there playing chess with Colossus, and 
and Colossus says after after they're shot, their bodies are going to be left there for 24 hours and then cremated. And then he makes his chest move, you know, just like in one breath. It, it's, <laughs> yes. it's a very chilling scene to me. I, yeah, I didn't find it. Um, it wasn't humorous. It was just like, well, that is how a machine would go about business. Right. What else did I want? Well, in the movie, I appreciated seeing the guts of Colossus. Yes. And all, all the mechanisms they put up to try and stop anything from happening. Yeah. That would have been cool. There were a lot of resistors shown in that, in that opener. The building mm-hmm. size mainframe. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you know, for, for, for a time when the credits were still up front, I like, I like when there's something interesting going on. That was kind of cool. What about the music? The music was interesting. It was The music was a little discordant for me. Yeah. It reminded me of Planet of the Apes. So, so in that sense, I'm like, okay, this is, it's a movie mm-hmm. of its time. It's scores of its time. There were a lot of matte paintings. I like a good matte painting. Yeah, me too. Um, I, li- I liked where they kept showing that kind of uh, scenic overlook outside of where Colossus was based, like in Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. um, where at the beginning, you know, it showed that there was like one car there. And then later in the movie, there's several cars. And then by the end of the movie, there's just hordes of people there kind of coming to venerate Colossus, it seems like. Oh, now if they hadn't put that in the book, would you have thought that was the reason all the people were collecting at the mountain? I'm not sure. Um, I, I mean, it was something that I noticed on like the third viewing of the movie that, oh, I see what they're doing there, where they're showing the people starting to collect and kind of starting to flock to Colossus as a deity almost, mm-hmm. which is totally expanded in the second book. So I do definitely recommend the the series. It's, I, I don't think they're great books, but you know, they'll, they'll pleasantly pass some some time and they're all pretty brief. Uh, what do you think? Should we rank? You guys got anything else to say? Yeah. It's fairly short. You know, we've been doing such large projects recently. Yeah. It's nice to do another one-on-one. Agreed. Yeah. One movie or one book, one movie. That's a brief movie too, right? It's only an hour and a half. Yeah. yeah it's not like an event. It's not like a Marvel movie, right? <laughs> do you think the book was a commentary about politicians at all? Yes. Probably. Yep. Given the current political climate in the United States and the the preliminaries, the, the debates and everything. Yeah, right. Uh, All the clowns that are running. I, I could see Donald Trump being <laughs> the presidential role for this movie. Yeah. We're going to build a mainframe. <laughs> well, that's why I liked his Frankenstein comment in the book, because it was very relevant to the movie, or not the movie, the, the characters in the book. Yeah. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. realize, it's not that the scientists didn't realize what they're creating. Uh, well, they didn't, but they knew better, and it was more the politicians didn't realize yeah. what they were creating. It makes sense for them to swap though in the movie because the movie was that a drive by I didn't feel the drive by the politicians to create Colossus in the in the movie. Yeah, I I got the impression it had been a longstanding project. Yeah. But that had government support. Right. Yeah, you know, no, sure, it had government support, but it was driven by the scientists. Right. I felt completely opposite about it in the book. Yeah. Where it was you know, maybe I maybe it wasn't, but the you know, as the president, build me this. I want this now. Yeah. And he found somebody that could do it for him. And it seemed more like in the movie, it would have been like Forbin petitioned to have to do this project. And the president was like, oh, this sounds good. Okay, go for it. Yeah. I don't know. A project like that wouldn't get off the ground without substantial sure. government sign off. Sure. Yeah. At least not today. Right. Yeah. Couldn't even get a superconductor built here. Jeez. Dang it. Okay. Oh, why don't we rank them? Uh, I'll go first because I have already said that uh, I like the book. Ah, sorry. <laughs> Uh, Freudian slip. Yeah, now I got you. <laughs> got it on tape. Yes, but I, but I edit the podcast. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. No, I, I, I go movie book. I like both a lot, um, but, but I really enjoy the movie. And it's mostly for Eric Braden. I, th- I think he does a great job. 
So, oh, yeah. but I did like the fact that uh, they went with kind of a diverse cast, and that was deliberate. You know, they, they were, Fisher was a black dude. Two women in technical right. positions. Two. There was Cleo and who else? Angela. I guess she wasn't in a tech. She was like a technical secretary, though. So that's right. true. I thought that was cool. Okay. Anyhow, uh, what, what about you, James? I think I already told you. You said book movie? Yep. There you go. Okay. Colin? I'm going to go book movie, but I'm not going to say that I like them both a lot. I'm going to say I like them both a little. <laughs> so you're, you're not big on either. Yeah. Well, like I said, uh, it's a downer ending, and that was hard okay. for me. Well, you should read. You know, you, you've already read the uh, Wikipedia entries on the other books, right? So yes. you know eventually. Yeah. Uh, Nothing, nothing, nothing happens. Yes. Nothing else happens. So Seth, what are we doing next? I have no idea, Colin. What are we doing next? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, we've talked about that idea about um, whether or not content creators and authors have the right to change their materials after initial release. Right. We could do a discussion on that. Well, okay. So a little on how the sausage is made here. Um, March is going to be very tough for us to get any recordings in. And so th- this episode will be going out in March. Um, it's not my fault. It's not your fault. I know. James is out <laughs> of the country for, for some time. I will be out of state for some time that doesn't overlap with James. So um, at least one pavement pounder will be out of town for extended times in March. So, you know, there's things we want to do, right? Last last April, we did the Bizarro cast, which was really cool. Um are we going to have time for that? Eh, probably not. We have another idea for kind of a bizarro cast. Are we going to get that in? Eh, we we could while James is gone because he, he wouldn't be involved if we were going to do the one with the junior pavement bounders. But then we'd only be at two third adult power. Yeah, eh, you know, if if James says it's okay, then then we could do it. It's okay. I will I will put together another supercut because th- those are always fun to do. Where I I put um, true you know, cuts of us making fools of ourselves and um, saying representative things. The, the first, on the first supercut, I got a lot of Colin referencing eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, not so much in year two. In year, year two, uh, you know, I have to, I have to pull those out of him. Um, still got plenty of that's what she said from James. Excellent. Yep. Um, lots, still lots of Colin uh, saying that he prefers the book. <laughs> those aren't hard to find, though, <laughs> though I did find one notable ex- exception. exception. Yeah. Yeah. Was it around Christmas time? It was around Christmas time. Excellent. Yes, it exists for all time. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm I'm not sure exactly what we're doing next. Uh, we have talked about doing 2001 uh, with Ben from the Sci-Fi Christian. Uh-huh. Um, so I'll have to contact him and find out when when we can get that going. But you know, it might be the end of March before we can do it. So that that could be for April. So if it sounds like we don't know what we're doing next, it's only because we don't know what we're doing next. So um, this does actually give people an opportunity to say, hey, here's something right. you should do next. So. If you want to send us an idea, then you can go up to our website, pavementpodcast.com, and fill out the contact form there or comment on this post. Or you can follow us on Facebook. Just search for Take Me to Your Reader or facebook.com slash pavementpodcast. Or on Twitter, at pavementpodcast. Sound familiar? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and let us know what you think we should cover, and maybe maybe we'll do that. Just probably not in March. All right. I think we're ready to sign off. I, I will sign off then with the uh, Colossus-based Haven Pounder's blessing. May the road rise up to meet you, and may your dictatorships always be benevolent. I'm really surprised I got that out (laughs) without completely butchering it. Nice. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I try and come up with something just, uh, you know, off the cuff, which I did that time, and usually it goes badly. All right, I think we're done. All righty. Okay. Bye, everybody. The Colossus, the Forbin Project, kind of sounds like a porn anyway. <laughs> Opinions of James do not necessarily reflect the uh, the views of of the Colin and Seth. And you know, 
sorry. Like the main the main problem for me, if you were going to remake Colossus, is <clears throat> sorry, is the burping. Colossus sets himself up as a banana. Like I said, I think I think the main problem would be it would feel derivative. Uh, deriv- Seth says, "Hi, Colin's family. He's not wearing any pants." <laughs> yeah, he is. Sorry. <laughs> My wife is certain that you are wearing pants. Okay. Oh, he oh. Is. <laughs> <laughs> so you're to my oh no. <laughs> See, James James turned his light light off because he's he's not dressed from the neck down. So I have to make sure people know that we don't know what we're doing. The magic of editing. It's wonderful love stuff. It. I love it. Fantastic. Um, I hear that this year is the 85th anniversary of Dracula, the movie. Well, we could slot that in for a potential October. Yeah. And we can, we can plan that far ahead. Yeah. And there are multiple television adaptations that we're not currently covering that we could definitely cover that'd be very topical. Yes. The Man in the High Castle, for example. Zoo. The Expanse. The Expanse. Yeah. We're not doing Zoo. We are doing Zoo. And we are doing the Hunger Games sequels. Oh, we are? I don't want to. I, I think what we should do is we should do one one lump sum where we cover the rest of the series. Nope. Meh. Uh, <laughs> James is like, I don't want to read the rest of those books. You made nope. me read the Manchurian Candidate. <laughs> you owe me. Well, we should just do the Manchurian Candidate. You don't have to reread it. We'll reread it for you. Um, because uh, I think I've only seen the Denzel Washington version, but it was good. So with Dracula, though, it'd be interesting to do the the failed launch of the universal monsters, Dracula untold, which I think was a flop. Mm. Oh, how was, how was Dracula science fiction? Uh, supernatural, right? That's not science fiction. It's supernatural. Our podcast. Our- <laughs> <our rules>. Yeah. <laughs> At least Frankenstein had some science in there, whether it was bogus or not. Either science and underworld, right? Ah, underworld is an adapted. Yeah, I know, yeah. but, or blade blade. Oh, we yeah, should just blade. blade. That'd be right. Yeah. Adapted from a graphic novel. No, we've never done that, but uh, now we're just rambling. <laughs> yeah. We should wrap it up. <laughs>